series of messages called Disciples, Making Disciples. It focuses on our new mission statement as a church. And last week, we talked about following Jesus, and we dealt with a very simple idea. But it's amazing how a very simple idea will catch on. Last week, we talked about what it means to follow Jesus. It means to say yes to Him initially and yes to Him continually, daily. And uh, we provided about 3,300 of these just very simple little green stickers that said yes. I encourage you to put them on your cell phone or your iPad or on the front or back cover of your Bible. And we had all 3,300 3, of them gone before the end of the third service last weekend. And um, we had more this weekend because we had people calling every day this week to say, I didn't get one of those stickers, I want one of those stickers. So we had more stickers and we've run out once again. So a lot of people saying yes to Jesus initially, continually, and that's a good thing. And this morning we're focused on being changed by Jesus. But let's be honest, most people don't particularly like change. Mark Twain once said the only person who likes change is a wet baby. Well, recent history tells us that most Americans don't like change much at all. Some of you remember back in the 80s the reaction to the new Coke, the new Coke formula. That went over big. Then in the early 90s, Crystal Pepsi didn't fear much better. It lasted less than a year before it disappeared. Apparently in this country, we like our caffeine to be brown, not transparent. Or what about uh, Peyton Manning changing from the Colts to the Broncos? Oh, that was popular in Indiana. (laughs) Somebody out there clapped. You remember in 1997 when uh, Ellen DeGeneres came out on the cover of Time magazine with the headline, Yep, I'm Gay, and her ratings declined so fast that ABC canceled her show. So um, change is kind of a funny thing, isn't it? We just involuntarily tend to resist change. And we're talking today about being a disciple of Jesus and what it means. It means to be changed by Jesus. So let me come into it this way this morning. There are several irrefutable proofs of the resurrection of Jesus. First, there is the vacated tomb and the missing body of Jesus. That is an historical mystery that has never been solved by any sleuth, nor has it ever been invalidated by any skeptic. Well, then you have the eyewitness accounts, holy women, his 11 disciples, more than 500 other witnesses who saw Christ at the same time. 1 Corinthians 15, 6, Paul talks about that. And many of those people were still alive to testify to the truth of it when Paul wrote the 1 Corinthian letter in 55 A.D. But perhaps the most convincing and powerful proof of the resurrection is this. The changed lives. The changed lives. Jesus' apostles were infused with a newfound courage. At first, they were holed up behind locked doors, terrified they would be imprisoned or perhaps executed. But they were changed from frightened cowards to bold preachers. 
Now, anyone who understands human nature knows that people do not change like that without some kind of cataclysmic event, some kind of significant influence. So what was it? Well, they had seen their master suffer and die on a cross and then actually physically rise from the dead. And that, that did it. And in time, they themselves died as martyrs because of their absolute certainty that the resurrection of Christ was reality. It was not fantasy. They would not have died for something they believed was a lie. The lordship of Jesus changed their lives. And it's really fascinating to trace these changes in the lives of just a few of the higher profile people in the New Testament. Think about it. Peter was at first impulsive. He was thoughtless, he was outspoken, he was combative, he was disloyal. But Jesus changed him, he became a rock, dependable, teachable, kind, submissive, faithful. And James, James was openly skeptical about Jesus even being the Messiah, but later James became the courageous leader of the Jerusalem church, even being put to death by the sword beheaded for his faith in Jesus. And John, well, John was one of the two so-called sons of thunder. He was vindictive. He was temperamental. He was racially prejudiced. He was manipulative. He was power-hungry. But Jesus transformed him into the compassionate apostle of love. And Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven demons. She was cleansed by Jesus. Later, she would support his ministry financially. She was courageously there at the cross. She was the first to go to the tomb on resurrection morning. And then, of course, the most drastically changed life in the Bible. Saul of Tarsus. He was a heartless and aggressive persecutor of the early church, but then when the risen Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road, a process of life change began. He became Paul, the most determined evangelist, the most long-suffering missionary in Christian history. The persecutor became the persecuted. He endured five scourgings, three beatings, three shipwrecks, a stoning, poverty, Constant intimidation and disrespect, imprisonment, and finally, Paul was executed by the Roman emperor Nero for refusing to deny his faith. So what could make a man like Paul of such status, such influence, such wealth, such profound brilliance, what could make him become a passionate preacher, a zealous new church planter, and eventually a martyr? There's only one explanation. It is the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. For all of these, their life began to change with the invitation from Jesus, follow me. And he didn't pick people who were well-educated and proud and influential. They were simple men and women, rough around the edges, but they were still willing to follow. And that's all Jesus asked of them. And as they surrendered to him, and as they sacrificed to be with him, he taught them. 
He coached them. He encouraged them. He showed them the upside-down kingdom of God to love your enemies, to forgive those who hurt you, to care for the infirm and the unlovely, to seek justice for the oppressed. He taught that money would not provide ultimate security and that you'll be more blessed by giving than receiving. And it's the same kind of following that he has invited us into today well before we understand where the journey will take us. But Jesus knows what we don't. That through his spirit at work in us, he will change our hearts to become like his. We will personally thrive under his lordship, being more than we could ever be on our own that we would be changed, that we would become holy as we experience his presence, as we hear his voice through the word. We live out of a changed heart and we influence others and compel others to follow him and be changed. And that's what it means to be a disciple, making disciples. Well, this week I was reading the connection cards and the emails from last weekend and I could not help but notice these two back-to-back comments. These are exact words. There was an email that said, I appreciate all of the scripture references in your sermons. True biblical preaching is one of the many things Crossroads does right. Then I got an anonymous connection card. (laughs) Too many scriptures in the sermon. The message is lost. Keep it simple. God is not complicated. Thank you. Now, please, if you're here and you wrote that, I know where you're coming from. I, I, I sure don't want God to be complicated or to seem complicated. And I want you to notice so far, folks, I have not referenced one scripture, not one so far. <laughs> but now, <laughs> I'm getting ready to turn the corner. Because you cannot believe how much scripture there is on this topic of being changed by Jesus. God's will is that from the moment we are in Christ, we begin a journey of radical change. And our changed lives will persuade others, perhaps more than anything else, that Jesus is alive. Todd referenced Romans 12 too. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be changed, be transformed. It's the Greek word metamorpho. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this transformation in us is to be a metamorphosis. Comparable to the process by which a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. And there's a lot of difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly. If a caterpillar gets on my skin, it makes my skin crawl. If a butterfly lands on my finger, it's just sweet. It's just Nice. There's a lot of difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly. And over time, the Lord expects us to look like and to become a totally different person, to undergo this metamorphosis. Look at the descriptions in Scripture that express the change that should occur. We become a a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. We're made new in the attitude of our minds. We don't even think the way we used to. We put off the old self and we put on the new self and we become instruments of righteousness rather than instruments of wickedness. And 
We've been buried with him through baptism into death in order that we may live a new, a new life. And we're no longer slaves to sin, which leads to death, but we become slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And we're rescued. That is, we're translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's Son. That's a lot of change. These metaphors emphasize the magnitude of the tremendous change that is expected to happen in us. And each one of those is dramatic and astonishing. But the cumulative effect is even more powerful. And here's the thing. These statements of change are only representative. There are so many more, like the passage where I want us to live this morning. This one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 4. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, change you through and through. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Well, as you know, Annually, the movie industry comes together for a huge celebration and awards ceremony. And all of Hollywood looks forward to the night when they can assemble and honor one another for the work that's been done in the previous year. And designer dresses and tuxedos costing thousands of dollars are bought. And limousines are rented. And red carpets are rolled out. And photographers swarm. And millions all over the country tune in their televisions to watch people gather and present gold statues to one another, honoring and praising each other for what? For pretending to be someone they are not. And the pinnacle of success for every big screen actor or actress is to win the coveted Oscar at the Academy Awards. A moment of recognition is granted to those who've done the best job of pretending. Now, I have nothing against good quality entertainment, but if you have any cynicism like me, it seems a little ridiculous that so many millions of dollars would be spent, so much of a fuss would be made, so many people would be elevated to godlike status for pretending, or as our kids call it, playing make-believe. But I wonder sometimes if it's possible for us to get caught up in the same kind of thing, pretending, hoping to be recognized, hoping to be praised, hoping to be rewarded for our performance. Beginning in childhood, we're told by our parents to behave a certain way, and if we're smart, we do it. Not always because we want to, but because a big person who has an allowance in one hand and a paddle in the other tells us we have to. So, a code of behavior is established by our parents, and we're either rewarded or we're punished based on our ability to perform according to that code of behavior. So then we get into school. During our school years, it's more the same. A letter grade is assigned to our performance. Every quarter, report cards come out that reveal our performance or our lack thereof. And we're either promoted or we're held back depending on our performance. And in the end, the two who perform the best get to give speeches at commencement on the final night of their graduating class being together. 
And then we get into the working world, and we're all well acquainted with the annual performance review. Pay raises and promotions come to those who perform well on the job. And we may, we may genuinely do well at our jobs because we love what we do, and good performance at work flows out of who we are. But it's possible to just go through the motions with no real passion whatsoever for what we do day by day. And let's be honest, sometimes pretending even occurs in the Christian life. Some have reduced their relationship with God, their walk with Christ, their fellowship with the church family to a performance. It's easy to become convinced that our acceptance by God depends on how well we perform according to a religious code of conduct. And we can feel this subtle need to get a passing grade from the Lord or to convince everyone at church that life is great and our act, our act is together. But there can be a pretty big disconnect between the way we act at home, at work, at school, and the way we talk, act, and react when the church assembles. Think about it for a moment. When it comes to discipleship, it's easy to fall into a performance mode. If you ask about discipleship in many churches, you might be presented with a formula. Be faithful in attending worship. Read your Bible and pray for 30 minutes a day. Don't do anything overtly sinful. Witness to others. Give a tithe of your income. Find a place of service and volunteer. And all these things will show that you are a disciple with whom God is well pleased. But my friends, this can be a performance. And true discipleship is not about doing. It is about becoming Discipleship at its core is bound up in the statement of John the Baptist. In John chapter 3, verse 30, he said, He, that is Jesus, must become greater, and I must become less. That's it. That is it. Discipleship at its core. It's bound up in the life purpose statement of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live and the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. This is not pretending. This is substantive change in anyone's life. So to make sense of all this, we have to ask the question, who am I really? Well, the name you have been given, that's not who you are. The job that you do, that's not who you are. Your family, your nationality, your talents, your hobbies, your personality, your wardrobe, your possessions, your flaws, none of these things. None of these things are who you are. To understand what it means to a disciple, you have to strip everything away. And you come to this one irreducible identity. Who are you? You're a human being created in the image of God. But like all humanity, you sinned against God. And the image of God in you is marred 
twisted, broken, stained, dysfunctional. But God set in motion a plan to make it possible for you to be restored to him, once again bearing the image of the one who created you and his plan to accomplish that is for us to become disciples of his son, Jesus. Romans 8, 29. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to be conformed to the likeness of his son. There's your identity. And the result of discipleship is back to Paul's prayer. Let me put it up again. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He will do it. Belief in Jesus as the Son of God, the image of the invisible God, and a life of discipleship will result in the total transformation of your spirit, your mind, your will, your emotions, and ultimately your body, ultimately your body. When Christ returns. Well, so what about all those things we usually associate with being a disciple of Jesus? What about faithful church attendance and Bible reading and prayer and avoiding sin and witnessing and giving and serving? These are things disciples do. But here is the critical difference. All these things we do our empty performance, if we do them to make ourselves acceptable to God or if we do them to make others think we're spiritual, that's just pretending. It's play acting. We don't need to outwardly do things to impress God and other people. Then why do we do them? Well, the answer is in the last line of our text. Because you do not change yourself. You can't. You do not sanctify yourself by performing spiritual discipline. Because of Jesus, God already accepts you. And it is he who changes you, sanctifies you, makes you more like his son through and through from the inside out as you cooperate with him through the spiritual discipline. So, as a disciple of Christ, you faithfully attend church worship assemblies and small groups because that's where you are encouraged and that's where you encourage others to become like Jesus. And as a disciple of Christ, you read and study the Bible because when you hide his word in your heart, you're more able to resist sin and you become more and more like Jesus as sinful thoughts and behaviors are less and less a part of your life experience. And it's why we've undertaken to study the Bible in all of our small groups using the Discovery Bible Study Method. And it's why my messages will have too much Bible in them week after week. As a disciple of Christ... Prayer is a regular part of your life because, because you become like Jesus as you spend time in conversation with him and as you are in his presence. 
And as a disciple of Christ, you avoid sin and you pursue a life of holiness because sin is disobeying God. And it's inconsistent with the character of Jesus. And God has given us his spirit to empower us to resist sin and become more like Christ. And as a disciple of Christ, you want to give and serve because in so doing, God changes your priorities. He removes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh that's caring and compassionate toward others, making you more like Jesus. And in the exercise of all these expressions of discipleship, I am not performing. I'm cooperating with God in what he wants to do in my life. But he's the one who does it. But he can't do it without my permission. He can't do it without my submission. It's as Paul said at the end of our passage, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Do what? Sanctify you through and through. Change you. (laughs) Keep you blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Benjamin Franklin said, when you're finished changing, you're finished I want to baptize Benjamin Franklin's statement and say, when you're finished allowing God to change you, you're finished. My prayer is for all of us as a church, my prayer is that as a community of believers, we will live up to our new mission statement. We will be disciples and we will make disciples and we'll be a people who follow Jesus, who say yes to him initially and yes to him continually. And we will experience what it is to be changed by his spirit day after day to be more and more like him. And so our public and private worship, our practice of the spiritual disciplines, our sacrificial service will not be out of duty And it will not be out of pretense. It will not be out of performance. It will be a sincere expression of our submission to and our partnership with God. So Christ can be formed in us. So we can truly say with Paul, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Will you stand? In a moment, I'll pray. We'll sing a closing worship song. And as we're dismissed this morning, if you have a decision to make, you may just be seated, remain in the worship center where you are. Our section hosts, our pastors will come to you, counsel with you, pray with you, meet whatever need you have this morning. If you have a decision to make for Christ, we're most anxious to talk with you about that. If you have a decision to make about Crossroads, we look forward to that conversation with you. Let's pray, then we'll worship, and then we'll be dismissed. And if you have a decision, just remain where you are. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the richness of your word that reminds us this morning that you have done everything that we need for life and godliness and that you want us to be presented complete whole before you one day and you have empowered us by your spirit 
by the power of the risen Lord to be a changed people, a transformed people. We thank you for the work you're doing in us. In Jesus' name, amen.